Acts chapter 16, we're going to look at verse 25 through 34 today. And uh, as you start looking at this, it's really cool how God takes difficult circumstances of life and turns them around for his glory. Uh, I'm excited about that. You know, but let me ask this question. How do you handle disappointment? How do you deal with circumstances that are hard and hurtful? You know, some people run from problems. I mean, that doesn't really solve anything, but it's what they know to do. And so when there's this difficult situation, they just run from it with all their might because they don't really know what else to do. Uh, it's the easy thing. And some people pretend they don't exist, hoping that they'll go away. And we notice that they don't usually ever go away. They just kind of compound and get worse, right? So you can't just, like, pretend they're not there. You can't run from them. And some people uh, really learn from them knowing that God has a plan. And I think that's the best way to approach it, right? So when situations come into our lives, uh, how many have had some cir- circumstances that are hard, painful, hurtful, and you didn't choose them, but they were there? Wow, every one of us has something in common, right? I mean, there are things that happen in our lives that we wouldn't choose, we wouldn't pick, but God has allowed them, and we wish they weren't there, but they are. And so you can run from them, you can pretend they're not there, or you can say God has a plan in this. And I think this is what we learn from the lesson today and the message that we're looking at. You know, the easy path is to run. The easiest thing is to do is just pretend it's not there. I mean, they just stick your head in the ground, just pretend it's, it, it'll go away, and but it doesn't. That's, that's, the, that's our flesh, right? Um, the hard thing is to get on the path that God is that God wants you on and to know that God has a plan. He's working in and through it. He's, he's bringing you from point A to point B, and it's not may necessarily maybe an easy path, but it's the one that he wants you on, and you have to trust him. That even though the, difficult, or the situation is difficult, he's got a reason. He's got a purpose. And through it all, I think it's ultimately to bring glory to God through it, right? I mean, we can glory our, try to glory in ourselves and say, well, look how I got through it. No, that doesn't work. God allows things to bring glory to himself, not to us. It's he's the one that, that is going to give us the strength and the wherewithal and the wisdom to get our, to work our way through it. So you will recall from last week that Paul and Silas were put into the inner prison and placed in stocks, right? So, I mean, it wasn't just uh, the idea of that. It wasn't just enough to throw them behind the bars. We're going to throw them in the deepest part of the prison, behind bars, but then we're also going to put them in stocks, right? Uh, why? Because they dared take a stand for truth. And uh, so what we look at in this next passage of Scripture is what happens next as they are in the prison. Uh, I don't know about you, but how many are you glad this morning you didn't wake up in a prison cell? Praise God. I'm so thankful as well. And uh, so if in case you wake up one of these days in a prison cell, I think this would be a good way to handle it. Not, not making any predictions here. Um, so beginning of verse uh, 25, follow along as I read, read this passage of Scripture. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Just, just stop right there. I mean, how can this happen? I mean, come on. I mean, you're in prison, the door's open, and okay, I can see the, you know, everything's shaking, everything's going crazy, and so the door gets beat open, I don't know, somehow. But the chains? How do chains just fall off? Well, there's probably one reason. Um, so at any rate, going on, uh, verse 27, 
And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in the house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Lord, I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would help everyone in this entire auditorium to understand with clarity. Lord, that you would also give me clarity of thought and speech, Lord, so that it could be understood clearly, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we may apply it to our hearts and lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, Spurgeon said regarding this situation, he says, it's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of man. When you think about this, right away in the beginning of, of this text here, it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You know, it's like, he's, like Spurgeon said, it's easy to sing during the day, but at the midnight hour, first of all, most of us want to sleep. Most of us are probably too worried. I mean, if you found yourself thrown into jail, thrown into chains in the inner part of the, of the prison, chances are you're probably not going to be able to sleep too well. Some of you ain't going to have your sleep number. You're not going to have your posturepedic and your air mattress, and you're just, I can't sleep, right? But at that moment, they're on probably a hard rock floor, right? Probably nothing that was clean, nothing that was sanitary, nothing that would be a place that you would desire to lay your head on, and they're just praying and singing. Imagine that. And I asked myself this question the other night. How do I respond to circumstances? I don't know about you. I have a pastor friend who's going through some, a difficult time right now, and I sent him a message because of what his wife wrote on Facebook. I didn't put it on Facebook, but I just read the message, and I just sent a message through text to my friend. I said, you know, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord, right? We know that. People would get us aggravated and upset and frustrated, and we want to we take you know, circumstances into our own hands, right? Because it's not fair, and why did this happen? And I want to get even. And I just sent this little message that says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But I know you use people, and I'm volunteering. Some of you will get that later. Sometimes I want to deal with the situation. Sometimes I don't want to wait on God to deal with it. Sometimes I want things to be squared right now because in the moment I'm ticked. At the moment this, is unju- this injustice or this frustration has occurred. I want to deal with it right here and now. God, please let me deal with it. And what does God's word tell us? That the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But in our flesh, we want to deal with it. And so rather than Paul and Silas getting all worked up and upset and frustrated and irritated, they prayed and sang. I don't know about you, but there is a therapy that takes place when you pray and sing and give it to God. 
You know, in Job chapter 35, verse 10, it says, But no one says, Where is, my, where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night? That peace only comes from God. He's the only one that can allow you to get through those difficult times in the night hour when our mind would not shut off. When our mind says, I want to deal with this situation right here, right now. Anybody else stay up late at night? Your mind won't shut off? He says he gives us songs in the night, but you have to give it to God. You have to let God work through it. In Psalm 42.80, he says, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be what? With me. A prayer to the God of my life. So it's almost, he says, it's almost as though this song is a prayer. Uh, there's a there's several songs that uh, oftentimes I will go through in my mind as you know childhood songs that I have you ever talked to God above knowing that he you know I learned all these little songs when I was a kid and I'd find myself out in the woods out walking through the perimeter of the trees and just these songs coming back and just giving things to God in the form of a prayer and a song in one you know God wants us to do that it's easy to sing in the day or when things are perfect when things are good, when there's no struggle. But what about at night when your mind doesn't want to shut off? Are you willing to give that to him too? Our praise and worship does not depend on our circumstances. How many know that? My joy is not depending on, you know, I can be in the worst circumstance of life and still have joy. Why? Because God is in control. God is in control. I, I debated somebody here a few months back. He says, well, God doesn't allow these things. I said, listen, is God powerful or not? Yes or no? Answer the question. Yes. If God is so powerful and we believe that he is, could he not have allowed the earthquake not to come? Sure. If God is so powerful, could he have allowed the tsunami not to take place? Sure. If God is so powerful, could he have, a, could he have just went with the tornado and gone in some other direction? Yeah, he could have. But oftentimes he allows things to happen so that what? We can point our attention to God and God can work through those circumstances to make us more dependent upon him. He has his reasons. I may not understand them, but he's in control. And the question is whether or not, as according to Romans 8, 28, do I love him enough to trust him with my life? All things work together, even the difficult situations, the job changes, the shortage of finances even the illnesses that come could god have allowed those things to not impact us yeah he could have but sometimes he allows those things so that we will look to him and put our strength and dependency back on him so that he can work through them and in the end he turns that problem into an opportunity to praise right that's what god does and that's what he's doing right here in this jail God often uses praise to defeat the enemy. Did you know that? In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 and 22, it says this. It says, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went up before the army. Think about this. I mean, just, just let your mind. Uh, he didn't put bigger, bigger uh, you know, outfits on so that, and, and bigger shields. He didn't give them sharper spears and swords. He didn't give them Uzis and machine guns and fighter jets. What I want. I want the biggest gun, right? I mean, that's what I want. What did he do? He consulted with the people and appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise 
the beauty of holiness as they what? Went out before the army. And we're saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. God uses praise to defeat the enemy? Think about that. How many have never heard that before? Three of you are being honest. That's good. How many have never heard that before, that God uses praise to defeat the enemy? That's right. Thank you. God will use unique things. I mean, I, I don't know about you. Once again, I want weaponry. Anybody else? Bigger guns, faster bows. I, I just want weaponry. God sometimes uses pitchers. In other words, lamps. He used trumpets. He uses voices. And now we learn again that he uses praise and scripture to defeat the enemy. I don't know about you, but sometimes many of us, maybe you, are going through a difficult time. And what you need to do is rather than dwell on the difficulty, rather than deal with the circumstance that's tough and unbearable, you need to just stop and pray and sing. Let God change your attitude first and then give you a right perspective about everything else that's going on. So he uses men who are appointed or people who are appointed to go out and praise and bring read Scripture and to sing aloud before the enemy and God defeated them. I like John, what Johnny Hunt says in this passage. He says, our problem is that our prison often defeats us instead of, in, instead of developing us for the further service. Think about that. Sometimes our problem is that our prison often defeats us instead of developing us for our further service. So what makes the determination of whether it's going to defeat us or develop us? You know what the difference is? Our attitude. Our heart. If our heart is to be woe is me, pity me, I, everyone should feel sorry for me, it's going to defeat you. But if your attitude is God, use this circumstance to bring glory to yourself, it will develop you. See, none of us can avoid circumstances in life that are difficult. They're going to come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You're going to go through circumstances, whether they're relationships, whether they're financial, whether they're illness, they're going to come. And if you have a oh, pity me party over it, it's going to defeat you. But if you say, God, you're in control, what is it that you're trying to teach me through this? It will develop you. And the difference is where your heart is on the matter. Second Chronicles chapter 20, again, verse 17, 18 says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Wait a minute. There's armies developing around us. What do you mean I'm not going to have to fight? Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. What did God's word tell us? I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, who is with you? O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Wait a minute, God, do you understand how big this army is? Do you understand that they have more people than us? Do you understand that they are coming against us with all their might? He says, do not fear. So either trust God or don't. The choice is yours. Trust God in this difficult situation or don't. The choice is yours. But he says this. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. 
And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And then, as we just read, he used praise and the scripture, uh, the word of scripture, to defeat the enemy. He says, "You're not going to have to fight." He goes, "Your praise will do the battle." Think about that. That's not something we're used to. If something happens, we're gearing up for it, right? We're going to get ready to go out, and we're going to go defend ourselves. We're going to go justify our actions, and we're going to just let them know that we're right and they're wrong, and and we're going to just... And God's saying, wait a minute. I'll take care of this. I will. Will you trust me? You see, so often we want what we want as the outcome. I'm no different. I want what I want as the outcome of my struggle. That's my flesh. But God is sometimes saying, I know you want this, but I have this for you. You want this, I have this. And you can fight and kick the doors down and and wrestle and and, and try to get this. But what you don't realize is this is what I have for you and this is better. If you'll just trust me. So the other prisoners were listening to them. So they're in this fun situation where they've been locked up and put chains on. And they're just enjoying having a good old time, right? Having a birthday party down there. No. But as they were singing, their response to the difficulty is being observed by everybody around them. This is where Facebook gets interesting sometimes. Why do you air dirty laundry on Facebook? Why do people gripe about what's not? What do you expect? See, we want sympathy. We want people to feel sorry for us. We want people to say, oh, I'm so bad. I'm so sorry you're going through that and feel bad. No. Your response to the difficulty of life could be an awesome opportunity to testify of who God is through the difficulty. So the other prisoners were listening to them. And when you're in the midst of difficult situations, how do you respond and what are other people seeing in your life? What do they see? Do they see God at work? Or do they see, oh, poor so-and-so, they're going through a difficult time? The choice, once again, is ours. I cannot control what happens, but I can control how I respond to what happens. That is in my control. So in Romans chapter 8, once again, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to birth. Do I love God enough to trust him with my life? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, according to uh, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You see, God's will is sometimes that we go through suffering. That's not what I would choose. It's not what most of us would choose. But he says it's the suffering that perfects or molds or matures you to be able to handle what he has for you. So he goes, after you have suffered a while, then he'll perfect, strengthen, establish, settle you. And then in the midst of those difficult situations, Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord when things are perfect. Rejoice in the Lord when everything is hunky-dory. Rejoice in the Lord when there's plenty of money in the checking account. Rejoice in the Lord when your health is just A-OK. I hate this sometimes. Because I, like, I kind of want to go on a waller, waller in my pity, right? 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And then it says, be anxious for nothing. But Lord, do you know how big this is? Trust me, God did not wake up this morning, scratch his head and say, wow, that one slipped right past me. Didn't know that was going to happen. He knows everything, right? He knows the struggles. He knows all things. If he knows the number of hairs upon your head, I think he knows what you're going through. So he says, be anxious for nothing. Do you realize that is an imperative in the Greek language? He says, stop doing it. That's what he's saying. It's not, you know, hey, just just hold on a little while. It's going to get better. It's going to feel good later. He's saying, stop. This is an imperative. You're doing it. Stop doing it. Stop being anxious. Stop fretting. Stop worrying. Why? Because he's in control. He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, I, have, I, I may still be in the midst of the most difficult situation on, that I can imagine. But he says, but let the peace of God settle you. Why? Nothing happens outside of his will. Nothing happens outside of his knowledge. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how you need to deal with it. The question is, can I submit it? That's the hard part. I want retaliation. That's me. Somebody does something, I want to get even. You say something wrong, I want to make it right. You did this, I'm going to do that. Because that's what our flesh does. But that's not what the Spirit of God has for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20 says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's the <laughs> This is the problem, folks. How many? We've been talking about this, right? There's a difference between in being indwelled in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. How many understand that? If you do, raise your hand up high. There we go. There's a difference. You were indwelled when you, put Jesus, when, you, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came in took residence in your life. He lives within you. Filling comes from walking in obedience by walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ, by submitting to him daily. And you know, here's the thing. The disciples went out, as they were sent out, as the apostles and disciples were sent out, he said, you can't do this until what? You need to wait here until what? Who knows the verse? Until the what? Till the Holy Spirit fills you. So how does that happen? You need to ask for it. Have you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you? Have you asked that, God, I need your filling today. There are circumstances in my life that I just want to control in my flesh. God, there are circumstances that have happened. I just don't like them. And God, I just I, I, I need you to fill me with your spirit. I need your power. I need your working within me. God, I cannot do this. God, I, I need your filling. How many of us have taken a moment to pray that prayer? Think about that. Be honest about it. Do we ask God to fill us with his power? Some of us have no power because we're not being filled with his power. 
you're not overcoming sinful habits of the flesh because you're not doing it in, 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 the, in the help of the Holy Spirit. You're trying to do it in your own flesh, and you'll never have victory that way. If you had enough power in your flesh, you'd lose the 30 pounds that you want to lose. But I'm just telling you, one burger's good, three's better. That's our flesh. And it's so hard to operate in the flesh because our flesh is strong. Our flesh wants what it wants. And when you make your, your mind that you're going to stop doing this or start doing this, and so many times we make up these New Year's resolutions, and they just, in no time. Why? Because we're doing it in our own flesh, and our own mind. When's the last time we said, God, for your glory, fill me. Give me power from on high. You wonder why you have no boldness and no courage to witness and share your faith and your story of what God has done in your life? You're not filled. That's the facts. Because when he fills you, every example you see in the New Testament, when God filled somebody, they get out with power and boldness. There's no exception. When God's Spirit fills you, you'll have the power you need to walk with him. But as long as we're living in the flesh and doing, operating in the flesh, you'll be defeated. How many are with me still? Thank you. So, he says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Wait a minute, we're going through a difficult time. Prison, not something I would choose. I, I, want, my, I want my sleep number back. <laughs> I want my, by the way, I don't know about all that stuff, but I know that my memory foam is the best. I love that thing. I hated it the first week, loved it after that. I want my mattress. There's not a mattress in a motel in America that's better than my memory foam. Fish start to stink about three days outside of water. You know that, right? I need my own bed. They're sitting in prison on a hard rock floor probably in chains singing and praying. And so he says, do not be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks when it's convenient for the things that God... Wait a minute, I read that wrong. Giving thanks always for all things. Yeah, there we go. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have we learned to say, God, thank you for the trial? Thank you, Lord, for putting me in this prison. And sometimes life feels like a prison, doesn't it? You're in a relationship that's just not working. Two fleshly people battling for their will to win out. Feels like a prison sometimes. Or when the finances are not good. That feels like a prison that you can't escape. Or when your health is in a situation where you just you want something better and it's just not happening, it feels like you're stuck. He says, giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have we learned to give thanks to God? Can you sing in the night? You see, that's a choice. It is a choice. Things happen every day that we would not choose. Things happen every day that we would not want. And you have to ask this question, why? Either I'm going to get mad in my flesh and say I'm not, it's not fair, it's not right, or I'm going to say, God, you have a reason, and I'm going to trust you that you're going to show me what that reason is. I can't see it in the moment. I, I told someone 
earlier this last two, two weeks ago, I said, you know, sometimes I look ahead and I say, I don't see how I'm going to get through this particular chapter. I don't see how I'm going to get through it. Then eight months later, I look back and say, I got through it. God got me through it. In the moment, it looked really hard. In the moment, it looked really difficult. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I look back eight months later, I look back. Oh, God got me through it. You see, every day is a choice. Every day is a choice to give that day to God. Every day is another opportunity. Every day, as it says, his mercies are new every morning. God gives to us every day that which we don't deserve. Every day God withholds from us that which we do deserve. That's his mercy and grace every single day. Are we, have we learned to give it to him? To say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't have to understand what God's doing through it, folks. I want to know. Anybody else? I want to know what he's doing and why he's doing it. But despite having those answers, I can still trust him. That's what Paul and Silas are doing. And they're using that circumstance to be a testimony of who God is. Because you can't sing in the midst of difficulty unless the Spirit's working within you. You can't operate in the flesh and the spirit at the same time and bring glory to God. They're, they're, they're using what the circumstances that God has allowed for his glory. So what do other people see in you when you're going through the hard times? A great earthquake takes place and shakes the foundations of the prison, according to verse 26. Prison doors fling open, and then something supernaturally happens. The chains fall off. I can see the doors getting jarred and breaking open, but chains coming off? God was at work. And the prison guard awakens to see the prison doors open, and he panics. I mean, that's a big deal, right? Maybe there, I, I don't know, I'm just thinking maybe this is like Raiders, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's this earthquake, and there's like dust in the cave. I mean, I don't know. You kind of just get that picture in your mind. The earthquake is taken. You, you, the stone is all, I mean, this is the innermost part of the prison. Smoke is in the air from all the dust. I don't know. The dust clears, and all the doors are open. And he begins to panic. If his, on his watch, those prisoners got loose, guess what's going to happen to the prison guard? He's killed. He's done. Off at the head. And he assumes that because all the prison doors are open, that everybody has fled while he was out. He grabs his sword, and he's about to kill, him, about to kill himself. Because he knows what coming if on his watch those prisoners escaped he assumes that they fled he draws his sword in fear and considers killing himself and he is quickly calmed as Paul yells out do yourself no harm nobody has fled so the prison guard calls for a light and is astonished that the prisoners are all still there according to verses 29 and 30 the guard fell down trembling before Paul and Silas I mean this is a big deal Prisoners didn't go anywhere when they could have. And he's about to kill himself, and Paul says, Oh, don't do that, don't do that. Question. Here's another situation. So the first situation is Paul and Silas are in prison. They didn't choose that, wouldn't want it. 
another horrible situation, prisoner's about to kill himself, the prison guard's about to kill himself. Because he's got, he, he finds himself, at least thinks he's in a situation where he's just going to die anyway. Suicide is not the answer. Killing yourself is not going to solve anything. But in humility, which is what it takes to overcome a struggle, humility, not justifying why you shouldn't have to go through it, not justifying why you're right in the midst of it, but humility. And by the way, just because you're humble doesn't mean you're not right. Just because you're humble doesn't mean you shouldn't have gone through it. Humility is another subject. Right, wrong doesn't matter. Humility does. But in humility and fear, the guard falls before Paul and Silas. And he says, what shall I do to be saved? Just by the very act of this earthquake causing the doors open and nobody leaving, this guard knows. And probably from hearing his singing and praying and scripture reading, these men are different. These men are different. says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Paul and Silas then spoke the word of the Lord to them, according to verse 32. And according to verse 33, Paul and Silas witnessed to the jailer and his family came to know the Lord and, and were baptized. God took a horrible situation in the life of two men and turned it in such a way that would bring glory to himself. Listen to me. I don't think there's a circumstance on the face of God's earth that is so horrible, that is so so unfair, that is so unbelievable that God cannot use for his own glory if we'll let him. And that is the key. You have to let him. I didn't choose a triple bypass. You didn't choose cancer. You didn't choose that car accident. You didn't choose that broken relationship. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, in 30 years of doing wedding ceremonies, I've never had one person come before me and say, Pastor, we're going to do this wedding ceremony, but I just want you to know, we're going to go about 16, 17 years, and we're going to get rid of this. Nobody has ever said that to me. In fact, what do they say? They're just the opposite. Till death us do part, right? Isn't that what they all say at the ceremony? But then life happens. Circumstances come in the midst of it all. Nobody sets out for destruction. Nobody sets out saying, I want a little disappointment. Nobody sets out and says, hey, I want a little bit of difficult situations and circumstances to come my way. But they do. Things that we don't choose. But for whatever reason, God has allowed them in our life, and we can get bitter and angry and resentful and upset Spawning in the flesh. Or we can say, God, you have a purpose and a plan. What is it? You may not know right away. I'm telling you, I was ticked off at the world as a teenager in my younger teenage years. I was angry. I remember coming into the house one day and I was so mad at my mom, I put my fist right in the wall, right in front of her face. Right into the middle of the wall. I was so mad. I was mad at the world. Mad that I didn't have my way. Mad that my parent, my parents were not living for the Lord and I was going to church acting like a hellion and, and, and 
so angry that my dad was physically handicapped. All my other dads, friends' dads, they go out and play football or baseball or go skiing or whatever else. My dad, I couldn't do those things. My dad was in the hospital half my life. I was just angry. Why didn't I have a better house? Why do I have a family that's broke? Why do I have a family? I was just mad at everything. And I remember the day that I put my fist through the wall. It scared me. And I remember in that moment, I said, Lord, please take away my anger. And I prayed that consistently every day. And just in case, at that point, you didn't know, I was benching almost 400 pounds. I was not tiny. That was probably one of the strongest moments in my life. And I knew that if I didn't get that anger under control, it was not going to turn out good. And I remember praying, God, take this anger from me. And I remember about three months later, I was outside playing basketball. And apparently I checked the kid too hard, blocked me. And he turned around and jacked me in the jaw. Three months earlier, I would have killed the kid. But in that moment, I said, is that all you got? And I said, come on, guys, let's play. Picked it up going again. And it hit me about 45 minutes later. What did God do? He had answered my prayer. situations happen. You can either respond in the flesh or you can respond in the spirit. And it's your choice. Things happen all the time. How are you going to respond? It's your choice. He's not going to make you respond any particular way. Say, well, this situation is just really tough. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't choose it if if you paid me. But the question is not why. The question is what. Not why do I have to go through it, but God, what do you want me to learn in the midst of it? And then after you ask that question, the second question is, how do I bring glory to you in the sight of others? Because this is what happened here. They're in jail, in stocks, and they choose to sing. And pray. And everybody around them is watching what's happening in their life. And it turns this very big problem, turns into an opportunity to praise in the end. And the difference is the heart. You get that? It's the heart. We're not going to be void of problems. They're going to come. Some of you are in the midst of them right now, I know. Things are happening you didn't choose, but God was fully aware that you were going to be right there where you're at. How are you going to respond? Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning as I prayed in the beginning. Lord, I know that these are tough things that happen in life. And Lord, I could look out over the congregation this morning and see that there are easily 10 to 15 people who are going through difficult circumstances. And yet it's no coincidence, Lord, that this is where we're at in the book of Acts, just the next passage, that you have some things that you want us to learn from this passage. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to learn what you want us to learn from. It doesn't mean the problem is going to go away. It doesn't mean it's going to get better necessarily right away. 
But Lord, giving the situation to you is the right thing to do. Asking what you want us to learn through it is the right question to ask. Bringing glory to you through the difficult situation is the right thing to do. So Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us. Lord, every one of us have things that we're dealing with. Help us to learn from Paul and Silas. Help us to learn that being filled with the Spirit gives us the power and the boldness to do what's right. Help us to learn, Lord, that we're not in this alone. We can have pity parties or we can rest in the power of God. It's that simple. It's a choice. He says, be thankful in all things. And yet, Lord, I know in my flesh, I'm not always thankful for all things. Thankful for most things. But, Lord, the difficult things are hard to be thankful for. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just ask for a moment. No one's looking around. We'll, we'll, we'll be out of here in just a minute. But maybe this morning you say, Pastor Ken, I'm in the middle of those difficult times. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that are struggling right now. And I'm challenged that I need to have a better perspective. I'm challenged that I need to give these things to God. Would you just simply pray for me? Anyone like that? A couple of hands. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And it's high and it's wrong. Yes appreciate your honesty. Nobody's without these struggles. We all face them one time or another. Can I challenge those of you that have lifted your hands just right here and now in this moment. Give that situation to God. Say, God, you know what I'm going through. You know how hard it is. You know it's not something I would choose. It's things that I I wish it wouldn't have ever happened, but they did. But God, I give this situation to you. I give these circumstances to you. Give it to God. Right here now, just say, God, it's yours. This broken relationship, this difficult financial situation, this health issue, whatever it is. Just take a moment and say, God, it's yours. I give it to you. Help me not to take it back and try to control it. God, you work through it. Teach me what you want me to learn through it. Help me to bring glory to you through it. God, just I give it to you. Help me to learn from Paul and Silas to sing and pray during the difficult times. Just give it to God. And then secondly, after you give it to Him, ask Him what He wants to do in and through your life because of it. Say, God, what is it that you want me to learn? How is it that I can bring glory to you through this difficult situation. Teach me. Give it to him. Don't take it back. Give it to him. And then ask him what he wants you to learn through it. How you can be glorified through the difficult.